Hey everyone, it's Blake, and welcome in to today's episode of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we look back at Clash of Champions, WWE's Sunday night effort uh, on pay-per-view, and share some thoughts on uh, how things unfolded. And I'm going to be flying solo for this episode of the podcast. I uh, just wanted to, to share some thoughts on the show, because uh, I know everyone always has different opinions, and uh, we've got our written reviews up over at 411mania.com. You can check those out there. Uh, but also, wanted to give you uh, my thoughts on it uh, here in audio form on the podcast. So, Let's jump right into it. Uh, this will not be a normal 45 minutes to an hour episode. Um, just me sharing some thoughts on what I thought of the show, and I thought it was a good one uh, overall in terms of how WWE executed uh, a lot of the most important storylines on this show. So let's jump right into it. On the kickoff show, you had Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura defending the WWE SmackDown Tag Team titles against Lucha House Party. Uh, Cesaro and Nakamura retain, which is uh, something that I think uh, you probably expected. Uh, I don't think many people expected a title change uh, in this one, which was uh, kind of a common theme uh, throughout the night here with uh, a lot of these matches. Uh, But we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. A good showing, I think, from both teams. Uh, We always know when when you have something that's on the kickoff show, uh, it's not necessarily a match that everyone's always going to certainly tune in and make it appointment television. But at the same time, I think you had four guys here that worked pretty hard and made this a good match uh, to start things off. And, uh, you know, what do you expect, right, from from these four guys in particular? Of course, Cesaro and Nakamura, um, they're someone that, that have kind of, I think, started to, to come into their own a little bit as a tag team. But I think for most people, would probably prefer uh, them to be uh, separate and uh, going and adding to uh, the singles division. But uh, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward to them. But uh, probably one of those matches that, you didn't really think you were going to get a title change, and uh, it was something where you had uh, Cesaro and Nakamura uh, retain the SmackDown Tag Team titles. All right, now for the show proper. Started off with the triple threat ladder match between champion Jeff Hardy and, I guess, champion Sami Zayn uh, and AJ Styles uh, in the uh, triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship And the thing about ladder matches is that it seems like at this point we've seen so many of them, and of course we've seen so many ladder matches that that Jeff Hardy's been in, that I think it's hard sometimes to come up with those creative spots, and you don't ever really know exactly if one match is going to feel like a previous ladder match, or, or what exactly some of the things are going to be in terms of the similarities and maybe some of the differences. I thought there were some pretty creative spots in this one, uh, knowing that this was probably not going to be one of those matches where you had all three guys um, flying all over the place, taking just incredible bumps or anything, although uh, there were several that you did have in this match uh, that were pretty incredible. Of course, early on, um, you had Sami Zayn just getting his back completely destroyed, and then I thought one of the a couple of cool spots, you had Zayn, hitting the Exploder Suplex on AJ onto the ladder. Uh, you had AJ throwing a mini ladder at Zayn uh, at one point and knocking him off. I think you know Zayn came down grabbing his, his fingers, and he, he played that up pretty well because it was almost like he was trying to catch the ladder but couldn't do it. Um, and then, of course, you had all sorts of just back and forth. You had fun action here. And then uh, the one spot that really, I mean, <laughs> we think about this with Jeff Hardy. I think sometimes we have to remember that Jeff Hardy is 43 years old. And it's one where he went on the one spot where he was trying to climb down the other side of the ladder and he fell off, got smashed between the ladder and the apron. And I think uh, it was uh, the commentators were basically calling it a ladder sandwich. And that's what it was. But it was a ladder sandwich basically onto the apron. And and that did not feel good, I'm sure, for, for someone like Jeff Hardy when you think about all the different bumps that he's taken 
over the years, not just in ladder matches, but in matches in general. And then to have one like that uh, at this stage of his career, I'm sure that's one uh, it's probably going to be feeling. And uh, you had some other cool stuff. AJ with it, had a moonsault uh, into a reverse DDT outside. That was very good. He, he jumped off of the uh, announce table and then came off and hit the reverse DDT. That was a really cool spot. Uh, and then, of course, you had Jeff uh, going all the way up to the top hitting the Swanton Bomb on Sami Zayn through a ladder. Uh, that was the other spot, I think, that will stand out for most people. But the one that will stand out the most will, of course, be Sami Zayn handcuffing Jeff Hardy to a ladder via Jeff Hardy's ear. Yes, uh, if you have not seen this match, uh, that is not a typo or me misspeaking. Uh, he handcuffed Jeff Hardy's ear to a ladder, and that led to Sami Zayn uh, handcuffing himself handcuffed the AJ to himself. Uh, Jeff tried to pick up his pick up the ladder with his ear and get into the ring, which he did. Uh, however, Zayn got the key, uncuffed himself from AJ, handcuffed AJ to the ladder, and Sami Zayn grabs the titles to, I guess, retain the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, I just I thought this was excellent. It, it was a great start to the show. You just had three guys going out there, and, and you knew there was going to be good chemistry here. This was one of those matches that I think a lot of people are looking forward to uh, in this one, and no surprise that it delivered the way that it did, and I think you have to give a lot of credit to these guys uh, for really going out there. And, and this was the, kind of one of those matches you, you never really know exactly where it's going to be slotted on the show, but I thought this was a great choice to, to slot it at the beginning uh, because it does. It gets things off to an incredible start, and this was just uh, a lot of fun. And, of course, like I said, you had those those moments that people are going to be talking about with um, you know Jeff uh, picking up a ladder with his ear, uh, being handcuffed, and uh, that's, just, that's the creativity we're talking about. That's not something that you see in every ladder match. Uh, so that was uh, certainly an innovative spot there uh, with that one. And then uh, Sami Zayn was, was incredible here, uh, just kind of playing his role as the guy who basically said, hey, I'm the champ, and uh, he winds up winning the match. So he's going to, I'm sure, have a lot to say about that here and saying that he was uh, the rightful, undisputed intercontinental champion. Also, uh, into the next uh, part, before the next match, uh, we had R-Truth uh, in disguise. Drew Gulak sneaks in, wins the 24-7 title. We'd get more of that uh, coming up. Asuka versus Selena Vega for the Raw Women's title. You know, I thought this was a match that, going in, uh, the problem was that I don't think many people at all had confidence in Selena winning. Um, but that, I think, was okay based on how the match turned out. I thought they actually had a pretty good match. It wasn't a long one, uh, but I thought they actually did a pretty good job uh, telling the story. Just uh, I thought you had Selena with some good back and forth in this one. Asuka always brings it. I don't think it matters who she's wrestling. She's always going to bring it, and she's always going to have that charismatic approach to, to how she does you know what she does and and yet she's still going to be an ass kicker she's going to come out um she, she's going to pretty much be in in oscar mode all the time doesn't matter who the challenger is that's just what you're getting with oscar we know that you had oscar win this match a uh, nice finish to the match uh, of course locking in the the oscar lock and getting the win uh, Zelina attacks post-match and that pisses oscar off and sends her into a rage uh, but really, overall, I thought this was maybe better than, than we thought it would be just in terms of you didn't really have a ton of build to this one. Um, and and again, I don't think you had a lot of people thinking that Selena really had a chance uh, to win this. But if you can tell a good story, it doesn't really matter sometimes if necessarily you can suspend your disbelief for a little bit 
and think, uh, at least if you get a good story out of this one. And I think that was the theme that we'll talk about uh, with the main event uh, here coming up in terms of challengers and maybe not necessarily or knowing. I mean, it's not even a, a maybe like you pretty much know that the challenger is not going to win. Uh, but at the same time, if you can tell the good story uh, and if you can you know, make the challenger look strong at times, uh, you can at least pull it off. But as I said, we'll get to that uh, in the main event. Two, two separate uh, situations there with this match in the main event. But uh, I think uh, some, somewhat similar in terms of uh, you had a challenger that, that a lot of people probably thought didn't really have a chance of winning. But I still thought it was a good performance uh, from Selena and Asuka and uh, you know, a, a nice little match here uh, with those two. Bobby Lashley defends the U.S. title against Apollo Crews. He had a fast start to this one. I thought it was a pretty hard-hitting match uh, between these two. Uh, you know, I, the one thing I, I kept thinking about was Ricochet, who's on the outside, basically in a cheerleader role right now, just in an interesting spot in his career. We think about what Ricochet has accomplished uh, throughout his career at this point. I mean, he's still young. He's still someone that you know has a lot of good years in terms of uh, his wrestling ability, probably left, but. He's just gotten in an interesting spot in WWE where he's, again, he's basically the hype man here for Apollo Crews. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, this is just a sidebar, but I think it's going to be interesting to see where things go from here for Ricochet, not just maybe in WWE, but just his, his wrestling career. Because again, he's someone right now that's kind of slotted into that role where uh, you feel like there's more to offer there just in terms of his wrestling ability. I know people have talked about his promos and such like that, but Man, the, the guy's just so talented that uh, you wonder exactly what the next move is uh, for him. But back to this match, I thought MVP, as usual, and no real surprise there in terms of uh, you know MVP just playing his role so well as uh, the leader of the Hurt Business. And I thought he was great again here uh, just in, in talking to Apollo Crews uh, during the match and basically just taunting him and such. Uh, Lashley wins the match uh, with the Hurt Lock uh, to retain the title again. Probably not a huge surprise. Uh, I think Lashley, you know, very strong right now, and this is one where you're just moving forward with Lashley, and and I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of what's next for him as well. I mean, we know we have the draft coming up here pretty soon, and I think it's always interesting for these champions that we're talking about, especially on this show, um, what is the future for all these champions in terms of who gets switched? And, you know, some of them you have Raw Women's title and you have brand-specific titles uh, that these people hold, so they're not exactly going to switch probably. You know, the, the Raw Women's champion and Asuka is probably not going to switch over to SmackDown and take the Raw Women's title there, uh, but... I do think it's interesting for someone like Bobby Lashley, the Hurt Business. Um, is there a potential that they move? I don't know because I think they're probably such an important part of Raw right now uh, in terms of what their role is. And uh, But, you know, they've got a lot of momentum, and I don't think it was a surprise to see Bobby Lashley uh, retain the title here against Apollo Crews. Uh, wasn't really, you know, again, it was about an eight-minute match. Uh, wasn't a whole lot to it. I didn't hate it. It just kind of was one of those matches that uh, it, it started off, again, it was hard-hitting, hard but uh, beyond that, it was just uh, one of those matches where I think he felt like, again, Lashley was probably going to win this match and that the challenger uh, probably was not. Then you had the, the Raw Tag Team titles on the line uh, with uh, the Street Profits defending against Andrade and Angel Garza. This was another one of those matches that uh, coming in, look, uh, we just mentioned it with, with Lashley and Cruz. We've seen those two, but boy, we've really seen these four guys uh, go up against each other really during this pandemic era. Uh, I don't know how many matches they've had together in some form or fashion, uh, but it's been a lot. And so I think coming into this one, people were maybe a little bit hesitant about what you could get here from this one. You had some good teamwork early on between uh, Andrade and Garza. Uh, the Spanish fly off the top from Garza onto Ford for a two count. That's always fun. 
But this match really never got going. Uh, it was another one that, that finished at around eight minutes or so. You had Garza roll out of the ring uh, after Spot seemed to be holding his leg. You had the controversial finish where Andrade clearly kicked out um, of the pinfall, but yet the referee counted the three. And again, it was pretty much clear as day in terms of Andrade kicking out. I don't exactly know what maybe, you know, the the mindset was here, knowing that, at least according to reports, it sounds like Garza's injury was legit. And so for him going on the outside, I don't exactly know maybe what that led to in terms of uh, what was going to be the finish. Uh, But I, I, you know, it's another one of those things where it's hard to tell maybe was it based off of the actual injury itself? Uh, Was that the plan no matter what? And maybe they just went to it. I'm not really sure, but... I mean, assuming, you know, you don't really know what Garza's status is right now, I think that's one where, in a controversial finish like that, you obviously have to get to a rematch uh, based on the fact that it was clear to everyone that Andrade kicked out. Uh, so I'm very curious, I guess, to see where it goes here. But again, if, if Garza's injury is legit, maybe he's sidelined for a little bit. Uh, again, all speculation here at this point because we don't exactly know as I'm recording this, but I am interested to see where they go from here and whether uh, this is going to be something that continues, which, you know, based on the finish, you would assume there's at least going to be one more match because I don't know how you could basically stop this at this point and say, well, Andrade and Garza, if Garza is healthy and ready to return soon enough, that they wouldn't get another shot based on the fact that it was pretty clear that they didn't actually lose this match uh, considering that Andrade kicked out. So a match that really never really got into full gear, and I don't know exactly if that was just because of the injury uh, or what the plans were uh, with this one. R-Truth wins back 24-7 title. Uh, I don't know how many times he's won it now, but uh, Drew Gulak, poor guy, uh, he was just worried about his friend uh, Akira Tozawa, who was eaten by a shark. And uh, what do you know? He got distracted. R-Truth wins back the title. Uh, Bailey comes out, and this is where we go into uh, what all the shuffling around happened uh, before the show, where Bailey was supposed to defend the SmackDown women's title against Nikki Cross, but... Before the show, you had WWE come out, and there were lots of reports based around the fact that uh, Nikki Cross was not going to be on the show. She was going to be pulled. Uh, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, who were supposed to defend their tag team titles against Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan, they were also pulled from the show. So that led to a lot of reshuffling, and of course it led to uh, the women's titles, women's tag titles, not being defended, and it led to Bayley not defending her SmackDown championship against Nikki Cross. So... We had Bailey come out and issue the open challenge, and what do you know? Um, Asuka is back for double duty once again, and uh, I'm fine with this. I mean, I think you should just throw Asuka out there as many times as you want. She's just so entertaining, and, I mean, we've seen her pull double duty, you know, several times throughout this this pandemic in different uh, ways that they've had to use her and such, but uh, I thought it was, you know, it was fine to do this, knowing what you were going to work towards, and, again, this is another one of those where, I don't know exactly would this have been the way that they work towards probably with the Nikki Cross match. My guess is yes, uh, just based on how this finished. The match ends uh, not really. A, it was a short match as expected. I don't think you were going to get this, you know, a 20 minute classic between these two uh, on the fly like this. But uh, Bailey hits Oscar with the chair, gets disqualified, and so. I thought, you know, it, it's smart from Bailey's standpoint, from her character standpoint. She has this match thrown at her. She's facing the Raw Women's Champion. How the hell do I get out of here? Well, I just get DQ'd. And so I thought that worked from a, a character and, and storytelling standpoint. Uh, and then, of course, that led to Sasha Banks 
hitting Bailey from behind with a chair. Uh, Banks, you know, knocks Bailey with the kendo stick. Uh, we're getting all the camera cuts here, uh, which is no surprise in WWE right now, uh, just to play up uh, the, the hatred. If you want to play up hatred, just cut that camera at least 15 times, Kevin Dunn. Uh, and that's what he did here in the post-match. But uh, it, it was well done. I thought it was well executed. You had Sasha come out, you know, with the neck brace on and all that, and really going after Bailey, um, And then Sasha going to hit Bailey again with a chair, but Bailey escapes. And that sets up... What we assume is going to be, you know, the, the next match uh, in terms for, for both of these women. Uh, they are headed towards their showdown. And I think it'll be interesting, too, knowing that Nikki Cross did not get her match on this one. Is that something they do on SmackDown? Again, this may be something they've already announced by the time you listen to this. Uh, but uh, as I'm recording, uh, we don't really know because it is right after the show. And so I'm uh, very interested to see kind of where maybe they go. I assume they're going to have a match. But look, we we know. I mean, this is all leading towards uh, Bailey and Sasha. And, and that was uh, to play up here. And I think this is probably the same scenario you would have gotten even if you had had the regular match between Bailey and Nikki Cross. Uh, I guess, you know, you don't really know for sure. But uh, I assume this was in the works, basically, to get Sasha back into the mix and uh, set up this match uh, with Bailey. And then uh, we had, of course, uh, another title match. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton, an ambulance match for the WWE title. And this was another one I, I thought WWE got right in terms of the storytelling here because uh, an ambulance match, I mean, it's a it's a gimmick match and you know you're not going to get a five-star technical classic or anything of that matter. But I think they did a pretty good job with at least adding some of the elements into it uh, in terms of where both of these guys were at, how much they needed this match in terms of the hatred between the two. Uh, they both came out wanting to destroy each other. And that just adds, I think, to the storytelling that you have in terms of just selling that hatred between these two. And we know kind of the back history with them heading into this match. Uh, I thought this had maybe cooled off a little bit heading into the match, just based on maybe where it was uh, back at SummerSlam and such. And then uh, moving forward, of course, you had Keith Lee beat Brandy Orton at Payback. And then we've had kind of those three interact a lot with each other here over the past, uh, I guess, month or so now. Uh, but still, uh, they, they did a good job with this. Um, I thought Samoa Joe, he's, he's been great on commentary for a while, but I thought he was great here just, again, in selling how bad you know both of these guys wanted to basically destroy the other, and I thought he did a good job uh, here with this one. Of course, the main theme of this match was the fact that you had basically the ghosts of Randy Orton's past all come back in this one. You had Big Show come back. Choke slam Randy Orton through the table. Uh, you had Christian come back and basically throw Orton into catering, uh, all the food trays and everything in the back. Shawn Michaels comes back, sweet chin music on Orton on top of the ambulance and throws him off. You know, from there, you had Drew McIntyre find a way to win it, even though Orton did hit the RKO of McIntyre and threw him uh, into the back of the ambulance. But you had Drew just at the last second get his hand out of there and basically break out hit the Claymore, and the punt to add to it. I thought that was a nice touch to have uh, Drew McIntyre hit the punt on Orton to win the match. Uh, it was good storytelling. You weaved in all the different facets, and again, you brought back those guys uh, that had basically you know, fell victim to Randy Orton's antics over the months and throughout the summer. And so I thought that was a nice touch. I do probably understand why some people may think that it makes McIntyre look a little bit weak in terms of 
maybe just, again, needing all this help to win this match. I think if you look at it that way, I could understand that point of thinking, and it was something that did cross my mind a little bit as this match went along. And you kind of knew, I mean, after you had the big show and then you had Christian, uh, you kind of knew where this is headed. You knew Michaels was going to come back. And then, of course, at the end, you had Ric Flair uh, being the one that, that drove the ambulance out of the arena. But, uh, again, I don't necessarily think it was something that, that really hurts McIntyre all that much just because... I think it was one of those things where you're bringing back all these different legends, and I think at least uh, from that perspective, and again, it's not like you just brought them back uh, to be put in a situation where they're here for no reason. It had a point. you, You understood it had a purpose why they were here and sometimes WWE doesn't do a great job of that sometimes they don't have a purpose for some of the things that they do with these stories but at least you had that here just from my perspective and I completely understand uh, the opposite point on this because I can see it from from that way as well but just for me I thought it didn't really it wasn't anything that really hurt the match all that much I thought it made sense and if this is one of those where you're completely done with this Drew McIntyre Randy Orton feud I think it makes sense just to basically have all these different guys get their, you know, have Orton get his comeuppance here from all these different guys that he's basically tried to destroy and end, um, and to have them all come back in this one, basically to have Orton sent out of there in the ambulance. Um, it made sense. And so it's just a matter of how do you view it? Do you think it makes what McIntyre look weak? I don't necessarily think it does just based on the fact like it wasn't McIntyre as the one that was just out there calling all these guys, hey, come help or anything like that. You just basically have these guys popping up from out of nowhere as though maybe they planned this themselves uh, just to all get their uh, revenge on Randy Orton. So I'm very interested to see where Orton goes from here uh, because this was one where, you know, this was should be basically the send off for this feud uh, in terms of where these two guys are at. Uh, and what's next for McIntyre? I think that's the most intriguing element of all this is he is clearly the guy that they are going with. Um, you know, it felt like at least over the past couple months, the Orton was the top challenger. Like, he was the guy that if you thought McIntyre was going to lose, it was going to be to Randy Orton. And so maybe this is where the draft is going to come into play. Uh, you bring someone over from SmackDown maybe that becomes the, the next top challenger for McIntyre. Uh, but uh, it's clear that they are all in on Drew McIntyre here. And this was just another example because this was pretty much putting the exclamation point on this feud with Randy Orton. And I thought I did a nice job of doing that. Uh, again, adding some of the storytelling into the mix, it made sense. Uh, even if you know you have to sacrifice just being a clean finish in terms of uh, not having all these other guys come back and interfere. But at the same time, I think you also had Orton basically bouncing back from all of these. Like, really, you think about it. He bounced back from the choke slam. He bounced back from Christian attacking him. He even bounced back from Michaels hitting the sweet chin music on him and throwing him off the top of the ambulance uh, because he came back and hit the RKO. So it kept it kept Orton strong. I still think McIntyre comes out of this strong, and uh, he's someone that, you know, wins this feud, basically, with Randy Orton, and uh, that just gives him another bit of confidence, another bit of momentum here uh, moving forward. So I thought this was this was nice job. Uh, again, knowing that the ambulance match is a little bit different in terms of maybe what you can do and the creativity around it, I thought they were creative here, and uh, I was fine with, with how this thing unfolded. And that led us to the main event, and that was Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso for the Universal Championship. And I will go ahead and tell you flat out, The build to this match was so good that you came in thinking that there's really no way they could screw this up, right? I mean, we've said that so many times with WWE over the years. It's like, surely there's no way they're going to be able to screw this up because this was a story that told itself. You were emotionally invested 
It was family. There were all the different elements that you needed. I thought the go-home show for SmackDown was fantastic. You had Reigns basically you know, saying what he said. The head of the table stuff, they're playing all that up. Uh, you had you know, the family doing cameos and such, and just so many different elements were added to it that made this essentially uh, the perfect story. And of course, you can pick different spots if you want. That's fine. But in terms of just that storytelling aspect, which is something you have to have if you want to get invested in some of these, because I think that's a debate, too, that you'll see a lot of people have in terms of, okay, do you just need the technical aspects of a match, or do you need that storytelling? For me, I think you need a lot of both. Like, I think you need to, to have guys, obviously, that can tell a story in the ring with their actual physical in-ring work, but you also have to have people that can tell the story from an emotional level. And I thought this was an absolute home run in terms of what they were able to do with this main event match here. You had Roman Reigns, which we've been all asking for and have all said if they would just let Reigns go the other way and be able to play up this heel dick character, he could be fantastic. And this is what we've gotten from Roman Reigns since he's come back. You just had him shit-talking Jey Uso the entire match. I thought commentary who, again, I, I will tell you, I'm one of the ones that sometimes that commentary can be hard to listen to in WWE because you know you know some of the things that they're really trying to hammer home it can feel sort of forced at times but I thought Michael Cole and Corey Graves did a really nice job in this match playing up Jay winning again again we goes back to what we said earlier we were talking about Oscar but Zelina Vega we were talking about some of these other matches where you didn't really necessarily think the challenger had a chance to win no one came into this match thinking that Jay Uso was going to win this title but I thought Michael Cole and Corey Graves did such a good job when when Jey Uso had the momentum in this match. I thought they were great in terms of playing up the potential of, oh my God, this could actually happen. And even though you never fully felt that, I think there were times that you looked at that and said, okay, at least this is making me excited. I'm thinking, oh my God, could this really happen? Again, you never thought it was. But I did think commentary, which that's their job, it's to play up guys. How can they find a way to make these guys look believable and make you think that they could actually win this thing? I thought they were really good in this, so bravo to them, because I don't always say that when it comes to WWE commentary, but I did think they did a good job with this one. Another spot that really stood out to me, you had Roman Reigns on a kickout attempt, and it was one where Reigns kicks out, but at the same time, he gives the low blow to Jey Uso. And I don't recall seeing something like that in terms of seeing a guy on a kickout have a low blow like that. And WWE did a good job with this too, where they went back, they showed the replay, and you're thinking, oh, there it was. Like this little bastard. He not only kicked out, but he also gave him a low blow as he did it. Uh, that just added to the heel character of Reigns. And then you had Reigns. To me, this was the highlight of the match, where Reigns is basically just talking to Jay this entire time like it you're feeling that it's you have two guys these are family members they've grown up together they've always had this back and forth but yet they're family right they, they're always going to come together not here because you had range just continuing to tell Jay to acknowledge him as the tribal chief and then you had range staring into the camera and Jay saying, absolutely not. Like, Reigns just looking into the camera, just shit-talking the entire time, telling Jay that his family's at home watching, his children are watching, and all this. And, oh, it just does not get any better than that when you have a heel character like this. 
I thought this was just masterful in terms of the storytelling, uh, where, again, you had Reigns basically telling Jay that he has to acknowledge him as the guy at the head of the table. Uh, Reigns just beating the hell out of him when he wouldn't acknowledge him. Uh, You even had Reigns telling Charles Robinson that he was going to knock his ass out and that this is family business and that for the referee not to get involved, that was another touch that I thought was great. Um, And then, of course, Jimmy Uso here in the finish, you had Jimmy Uso coming out to throw the towel in, uh, and Reigns also wanting Jimmy to acknowledge that he is the head of the table. That had me laughing because it's just like, this guy is so good in this heel role. And you can hear it in my voice. Like, this was something to where, think about this. Before the pandemic, all those years where, you know, basically we're like, okay, Roman Reigns is going to be main eventing WrestleMania. Who's it going to be against? You had this character that a lot of people were just hoping at some point, There has to be a switch here. And I think you felt it more so maybe even in this match than since anything else Reigns has done since he's returned. You felt that so much here that just a change in character. This is the new Roman Reigns. And I thought this was an excellent job of pushing that here. And, And then you have Jimmy, of course, at the end telling Reigns that he is the chief. He is the guy. And that I thought was just, man, this was an emotional roller coaster from start to finish, but it was so well done. Um, And then, of course, at the end, you had Reigns basically just standing there with this look on his face, knowing that this guy has all the confidence in the world. He's the head of the table. He's the guy. And he's just staring down at Jimmy and Jey Uso as they are just looking up at him. And the visual was great. I know it's been very easy here recently to be negative on WWE. And I've been one of the ones. When you talk about some of the storylines that have not exactly worked out very well, uh, Retribution obviously is the one we're talking about here. Uh, But you've had so many times, too, where I think WWE has insulted fans' intelligence in terms of some of the stories they've tried to tell. And I think that's always a bad thing to do because you have to be able to get your fans emotionally invested enough to where... They actually believe that you're going to follow through or that you're going to be able to tell a story in a way that it needs to be told. And I think WWE has not done a great job with that uh, maybe over the years just in terms of being able to do that here at least maybe in the past five years or so uh, where you've had a lot of stories that have seemingly just kind of fizzled out, maybe not gone exactly to where they should go, knowing that sometimes it's very easy just to tell a simple story that doesn't need all these little bitty tiny, there's no complicate, you don't need to complicate. Sometimes the best stories are the ones that are the simplest ones. And I think that's what you have here with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. This is such a simple story to tell. It's family, it's one guy that has basically outgrown the family in a sense, where you have Reigns being the guy that is basically saying, I am above everyone, and just doing it in a way that, you know, plays onto that emotional part of any family, of any rivalry. And I thought this was Roman Reigns at his absolute best in terms of this character. And really the best Roman Reigns has been in a long time. Let's just, let's put it that way. Um, This was not a match that you're going to look at, as I said earlier, and look at this and say, okay, this is a five-star technical masterpiece. But from a storytelling standpoint, I thought this was as close to five stars as you could get uh, because I just thought they did such a great job of telling this story throughout you know, this entire however many minutes this match was. I want to say it was close to 25 or so. They just did such a great job telling this story. And I would highly recommend, if you haven't had a chance to watch this, if you've been down on WWE, 
I get it. Like, I've been there. I know exactly what you're saying, but I promise you, if you watch the build to this match, you watch this match individually, this was some of the finest work WWE has done in a while because this was so well told as a story, and it has you so invested now in this Roman Reigns character that, quite frankly, this is it. Like, of everything else going on in WWE right now, like I, told, I said before on this podcast, I've loved the Bailey Sasha stuff. Um, I think it's very interesting to see where Drew McIntyre goes from here. But above everything, right now, Roman Reigns is the guy. Like, he is the story. He is the guy. And where he goes next, I think that makes SmackDown must-see television because this guy is so good at what he's doing right now. And it's incredible to think that, knowing where fans were with Roman Reigns even a couple of years ago um, now. And even, uh, you know, it's just, it's incredible to, to think at what they've done. And hopefully, as I said, WWE has not been a company that has been easy to trust when it comes to these long-term stories. But I think thus far, they have done as well with this one as they've done in maybe a while with some of the stories that they've told. Uh, but this was just a masterpiece for me. I, I really I really think it was that good uh, because you just have a character that you are so invested in now with Roman Reigns and you have a story you're invested in with his family where, you know, Jey Uso... When Jimmy Uso comes back, how does he factor into the mix? Uh, I know everyone's talking about, well, what happens with The Rock? Does The Rock come back? All this other stuff. But I think that's what makes it fun. Even if that's not a realistic possibility, it doesn't matter. Because Roman Reigns is so good in terms of what he's doing right now. I don't even know that I, whoever's next, like I just assume that Roman Reigns is going to find a way to make it good. And so uh, that's where we're at with Roman Reigns. And I thought this was one of WWE's better efforts in terms of just overall shows. And really just from a storytelling perspective, I thought they did a good job, uh, specifically, of course, with this main event. Uh, But overall, I thought this was a pretty good show. Uh, This was a show, if you didn't watch it, if you've been someone that has maybe just said, all right, I'm I'm done with WWE. Uh, This is not a company that I'm going to invest however many hours into each week. Completely understand, but at the same time, uh, I would recommend the show because I think it was pretty good, and uh, I do think this main event is one that that should really captivate people, especially if you watch the build, because I think it's important to know the background and how they built up Jey Uso and how they built up the feud between these two and adding in all the family ties and everything. That's what made it that much better. If you just watch the match in and of itself, you didn't watch some of the build, maybe you don't get that exact same feeling. But if you watch the build and you watch this match, that that is the entire package. It's the total package. And I thought that they did just a really good job uh, with this one. So recommend the show. Uh, watch it if you haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, specifically, if you want just a couple things to watch, uh, obviously the ladder match and the main event, I think, are the, were the top two things on this show. And even, as I said, I thought McIntyre and Orton was really good, too, uh, in terms of uh, what those guys uh, did there. So... So there you go. There are uh, some thoughts on Clash of Champions. As I mentioned earlier, we've got our reviews over at 411mania.com. You can find Kevin's review over there. Uh, Scott Slimmer's review is also over there on the website. Check those out. Uh, And, of course, we've got a lot more stuff going on over at 411mania.com. Our G1 coverage continues. Uh, Ian Hamilton has his reviews over there. Kevin does as well. You can check all those out. And as usual, uh, the GoFundMe uh, for Larry Zonka's family, uh, the link to that will be in the show notes of this episode. We're putting that on all the episodes we do here on the podcast. So uh, if you've already donated, again, thank you for doing that. And I know uh, everyone appreciates that over at 411mania.com. And uh, be sure to continue to share that as well for maybe others who haven't had a chance to contribute. And uh, again, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Any podcast app you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, uh, we're on there. So just find the podcast on there. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the 411 on Wrestling Podcasts.